and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to all of our non-binary friends, to everyone on the spectrum and in between, welcome to another episode of The Shutter Show. My name is Ken Stacknick, and with me, as always, is... David Marlowe. David, how are you doing today? Ken Stacknick, I am doing very, very well. Um, uh, as you can see, the walls behind me are bare bones. I have, we were pretty much halfway packed for me to get ready to, to leave for Indianapolis uh, on the 30th. So hopefully the weather holds up, but yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a process. I also just got back about an hour ago, a friend of mine, I didn't tell you this when we were prepping and everything, a friend of mine, she and her partner, who I believe you've met them, Greg and Rachel, they were at her wedding. They, they left for a trip to, to go see family and they left their dog with a friend and apparently their dog billy who's super sweet and very blind and very skittish uh he got out and ran off oh no and this was just and they they heard about this just as they're getting on the plane to denver and so they pretty much grouped uh they got together a posse with myself and like eight other people and we all drove over there and we were just going like back and forth all around the neighborhood um, looking for this tiny skittish dog and just hoping that it didn't get hit by a car. Luckily, it found its way into somebody's backyard and decided to, uh, pup's name is Billy. Billy just decided to chill on some dude's couch in his backyard. The guy came out, was like, well, 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 well who do you belong to? So they called, they went over, got them, but that dog had one hell of an adventure and looks like they're the person that got kicked out of the club for being too drunk. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a little, yeah. little, little tiny adventure today, but yeah. Ken, how about yourself? How you been keeping? Uh, not too bad. I uh, enjoying things here in Hawaii. Uh, things are picking up on the production. We did a, a location scout today and Things are moving along with props and our miniatures and such. So we're getting all of those squared away. We got a lot of casting taken care of. A lot of crossing T's and dotting I's is getting taken care of as we get closer and closer to the date. And then also uh, getting ready for my sister's wedding, which is uh, coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks. So uh, lots of going on, but overall, pretty good. And David? Sh- oh, oh, sorry, go, go on. No, 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 I was going to no, say, like, 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 how's she doing with all the preparations and everything? I mean, it's a wedding, so she's busy and, uh, you know, uh, everything everyone goes through when they're prepping a wedding. That's how she's doing. (laughs) All right. Go on, good sir. Well, I was going to say, David, what movie are we talking about today? Ken, we're doing a classic today. Yeah, there's um, before. Yeah, before I tell them what we're doing. So there's did you see the thing that. um, Well, they already know um, they saw the the title of the episode. Oh, no, no, no. Like they, they saw the title of the episode, but I was wondering if you saw the, oh gosh, what was it? Um, I'm trying to remember the director. He had a little quote after he won this award. Um, Robin Hardy? Whole, I, I think, uh, oh no, it was, no, it was Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Oh, was okay. Yeah, no, Robin yeah. Hardy's the one who directed this movie. Okay, sorry, go no, on. No, 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 no. No, Martin Scorsese went up and he accepted an award and his acceptance speech was all about shitting on the way that we rate films these days and Mm -hmm. and the way that people judge how they're, when they're going to go see a film, how they're going to see a film. And it's like, so he just pretty much shit on Rotten Tomatoes 
and all those other sites throughout his entire acceptance speech. And while I disagree with him on the, his whole thing about superhero films, I very much agree with him in this point. And he was just trying to make the point of like, these sites are ruining the film going experience because they make everyone think that a film needs to be judged and determined right out the starting gate. And that it leaves people with this inability or this, this um, psychological inability to ruminate on a film, to consider it and whether or not they actually liked it to maybe go see it um, a couple of different times before they make, you know, their decision on how they feel about it. And I think that this film, uh, 1973's The Wicker Man, um, is the perfect example of what it means to not judge a film before you see its effect on people. Because boy, oh boy, like this film, like had a lot of trouble post after, like after, after production was finished. Like it was, yeah, cause what was the, um, what was the, what was the production company called that was taking care of this? I believe it was. Uh, British, uh, to hear is that's British Lion Films. Yes. British Lion Films, um, which I think went through three separate owners uh, uh, throughout the post-production of this film. Um, when it came to actually like getting it out there, uh, allowing people to view it, the thing got diced to pieces in the editing room. And we can honestly thank Christopher Lee for going to bat for this film. And I think it was the reason why this film has done so well now up to this point um, was that he kind of low-key went to a bunch of French and Canadian film critics and said, I will pay for your ticket, go see this film and write how you feel about it. And they're like, well, you don't have to buy our tickets. We'll go see it. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. But almost every, like two of the three producers that owned um, British Lion Films hated it. They absolutely unequivocally hated this film. So yeah, it, it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to like dive in on this one this is this is a like and this is actually ken i'm embarrassed to say this this is the first time i've actually seen this film oh wow okay i, well, I know you've yeah. seen you saw the nicholas cage version which we should briefly address <laughs> here as um a, a wild swing and a miss and a misunderstanding of this material at a pretty base level i mean unless he was literally going for a comedy I don't think Neil 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 Lebute, yeah, did a. Uh, I mean, he he did a thing, but like it doesn't it doesn't hold a candle to this movie. Neil Lebute did in the Company of Men, right? Yes. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I, Neil Lebute, he he's a very talented playwright. Um, I, I do find some of his opinions and some of his writings to be problematic. And yeah. I am not, I am not surprised that he missed the point of this film entirely. Mm -hmm. Just, just the whole idea of like changing the premise of the Island itself, consisting almost entirely of women Com like completely misses the point of 
the theme of pagan rituals and fertility rituals. It, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't understand where his head was at when he was doing this, this remake. It, it genuinely, like, cause yeah, I, after watching this, which I, I greatly enjoyed it and it was not at all what I expected it to be. And I, yeah, I'm wondering where that translation got lost. I mean, it's, it, it, it is hard material to translate because so much of what makes this movie great, in my opinion, is the tone, the vibe, the smell, the naturalism. It's almost everything this movie isn't doing is as important as everything that it is doing. It is, it, it, it's, a, it's a hard, like, it's a hard movie to quantify what makes it such a good horror film. And I want to put that debate to bed right now. This is a horror film. If you want to argue with me that it's not, I'm sorry, you're just wrong. It can be a horror film and a thriller and all of these other things, but it is a horror film. Just look at it from the perspective of the main character, and it is clearly a horror film. And also, I would say we are going to discuss the ending of this movie. I don't know how much you can spoil the end of this movie, given the infamousness of the Nicolas Cage final scene and the fact that like most of the posters have what we're leading to. It, it's not... It the spoiler take, is in the the spoilers in the title itself, which yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not, yeah. So like, if if you're really bothered by that, I'm, go just go watch the movie right now. It's yeah. it, it's great. It's readily available. Uh, but if uh, so, yeah, we are going to discuss that. But it, it's also a movie that, like, one of the movies I was thinking about uh, a lot with this movie was um, was like how much something like The Shining owes to it. Uh, the idea that, or or actually even more so, like Shutter Island is another movie where like mm-hmm. almost the point of the movie is you're like, well, I know how this is going to end. And you're like, yeah, it's going to be bad. And you're like, so how, so when's it going to happen? And you're like, like at the end, you're going to have to sit through all of it. Uh, oh, like it's the difference between just like suspense and scares. And this movie watched under the correct conditions this movie super gets underneath your skin i would argue the best way to watch this movie is go out to the bar have a couple of beers don't get tanked have a couple of beers and then come home and at like 1 30 in the morning a little tired but still awake put this movie on commit to finishing it and just let it's like spooky is, is, is that how you first watch this um, that is not how I first watched this, but that is how I came home to my roommate who just like threw it on coming home one night. He just, I was, he was in the piles of movies that you should watch. And like the next morning he was like, Hey man, I was like, what's, what's up buddy. And he's like, I watched the wicker man last night. And I was like, yeah, see, that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's how you do it. Like, uh, which is, which is also interesting because like this movie goes down in the books with something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the birds with Rosemary's Baby as movies that make the daytime scary by showing you everything. And it somehow makes it worse. <laughs> and like that, that's not something like, like something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre also owes a lot to this movie 
intentionally or not, is like its use of naturalism. There's so much in this movie that's thrown away. There's almost like a documentary style with the camera. It's not like completely handheld and crazy shaky, but like it's just it, well, like and, none of the scenes look lit. Like yeah. everything and, and just most, feels most like of it's the there. most of the film itself takes place in daytime. Yeah, there's like what what one night sequence where yeah. uh, he goes yeah he goes on the walk and finds all the people in the park and then uh, Britt Eklund does her uh, her dance. Yep. Which, which there's, there are some fascinating stories about that too. There's a really good, um, there were a couple of really good interviews that I came across both um, on YouTube and written uh, with Brett Eklund. It's Brett Eklund, is it? Is that how you pronounce it? I believe it's Britt Eklund. Britt Eklund. Okay, there we go. Um, Where she talks about her experience with this. I like from what I understand all of the guys working on this had a baller time. The women, not so much. Um, okay. Well, like, and it's not like she's like, like, no, it wasn't like terrible or anything. It was just unpleasant. And not for the reasons that you would suspect. It's just the idea that like this film takes place in late April to mm-hmm. the beginning of May, May Day. And on the other side, this was shot in the middle of like, or like, yeah, in the middle of November. Mm. So it was fucking freezing, but everyone mm. was dressed for summer or, or dressed for springtime. Um, like she talks about, for example, like during the end scene with the wicker man, um, how their, how the lead actor kind of had it the worst in the sense of just his costume, because, you know, he was dressed to be burned at the stake. And it was the beginning of a very, very frigid fall day. And so after they would call cut, she says that he would run right over to her and like stick his cold feet like up her skirt for warmth. And she's like, I don't know why he chose me every time, but it was, it was awful. It was, it was I mean, terrible. I can tell you why he chose Britt Eklund every time. Like that's not, oh yeah, that's, that's not hard to figure out. Like yeah, she, um, she was a Bond girl. There's, yeah, he did that. Well, and and, and Brit, I mean, Britt Eklund also like, and she was who she was also married to, um, Sean Connery, for a period of time. Oh, I didn't know that. Neat. Yeah, uh, at least as far that's that's what I got from the the interview that she was talking about. Like she had uh, originally made it was as a model instead of an actor, mm-hmm. um, but the director was really satisfied with her performance as the landlord's daughter. And the dance scenes required her as for folks who've already seen this, I'm sure they know to bear everything, especially like her behind. And she describes like, but I've got an ass, like a ski slope. She said, and like, I couldn't see that was the case, but like they had to do something. So they, instead they, they provided her with a bottom double and they kind of kept it on the hush hush. And the director sent notes to everybody saying, please don't tell her. We don't want this to become a thing. Like she finished her, her shoot for the day. I think it was like a 13 hour day. Uh-huh. And they put her in a, in a limo. And as soon as she left, they brought in the body double and they filmed it. But the notes oh, yeah. that he had sent out to people telling them not to tell her had also been sent to her hotel room. Oh man, okay. Wow. So that had created a little bit of drama. A little um, oopsie daisy there, yeah. Yeah, 
I don't know. It, it's, it, but it's fascinating though. Like just the, um, and like the cold weather also made it complicated. Like it was shot in like 25 different locations. Um, and they had to glue leaves and blossoms to the trees wherever they went, which was very time consuming and oftentimes complicated to shoot quite a bit. Um, God, what was that? I even think like the aerial shots of the plane arriving, I think it was like South Africa. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they didn't have a budget to glue blossoms to that many trees. So, you know, it's, it, 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 is, it is really fascinating. I think they ended up shooting in like 25, yeah, 25 different locations. That's insane. Uh, that, yeah. and, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, it, like, because this movie looks like it's all shot on location in Summer Isle. And uh, apparently that's not true. And I did not know that. That's, that's yeah. wild. The, the sacrifice itself took place in like Dumfrieshire, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to say like the thing that impressed me the most and their production was so surprised that they made it work and that they got it the way that it was, was as the wicker man is burning down and collapses, immediately it collapses to the shot of the sunset just behind it. And it is fucking brilliant, just beautiful. Um, then obviously that was all in that time, all practical effects. You had to time that shit perfectly and hope that the thing collapsed from the fire just at the right moment, just as you're hitting golden hour. Like, yeah, it's, there's so much technical stuff in this film and like the stuff that I've read up on it that I'm, I'm fascinated by. Well, all right. So something I think we should probably do is for the people at home who haven't seen this, we should do a brief like summary of kind of what okay. what the Wicker Man is. So um, so we have a, a police constable who uh, comes to the uh, uh, island of Summer Isle and basically says like, hey, we've got a report that it's a girl missing. I, I'm here to investigate. And they're like, oh, who? He's like, oh, this girl, she's, she's missing. Oh, I don't, I, we, we don't know who that is. Well, I'm a policeman. You're gonna have to let me in. They're like, Oh, wait, I think who you know who you're talking about. You need to go over and talk to these people. Let them in. And then it becomes this policeman on this island going from person to person, basically being like, where is this girl? And he keeps getting the runaround. He keeps, like, they keep kind of gaslighting him or making jokes and pretending like this is no big deal, despite the fact that there's a missing child here. And as he continues his search, he uh, comes across all of the interesting aspects of the culture of uh, the, the people of Summer Isle. They live a very like pagan lifestyle and uh, they are not. Uh, and, like, and the constable himself is like very, uh, he's very religious. He's very straight laced. He's very repressed. He is very British for lack of a better term. And so there's the conflict within him, uh, within him there as he uh, is tempted over and over again by all the things going on on this island. And then he begins to suspect that possibly these pagans are doing some sort of pagan ritual and they're probably gonna sacrifice this girl and that's why she's gone missing. She's gonna be the sacrifice. And then uh, it, uh, well, then he goes and investigates that and it, and it, and it turns out one way. And uh, yeah, that's, that is essentially the Wicker Man. It's, it's not a movie where a whole lot goes on. It's mostly a character being very frustrated with how everyone's treating him. Um, 
some movies that I kind of thought of, uh, one, one of that I kind of thought of was Wake and Fright, one of the movies that we covered earlier on, like this has that very much that kind of that outsider dealing with a bunch of locals who are slowly abusing him more and more, whether he kind of knows it or not. Uh, obviously something like uh, Don't Look Now, A Dead and Bury, another movie that we covered, is very <laughs> much that kind of uh, vibe as well. Uh, also something like Eyes Wide Shut, Essentially, that's kind of what's happening to Tom Cruise in that movie. Uh, the movie Flight Plan is like that. Obviously, um, Midsommar is the other. Yeah, movie. which I wanted to see almost immediately after watching this. I still haven't seen that movie. Yeah, I mean, like that, that is like if you liked Midsommar, you will like The Wicker Man. If you like yeah. The Wicker Man, probably it's like got this. some real good for her energy. Well, like they like if nothing else, those movies obviously like owe a lot. To, like, like Midsommar owes a lot to Wicker Man just in its imagery regardless of what happens otherwise mm-hmm. no it is and it's and kind of like what we were talking about with the uh, how it's it's difficult to spoil this because the film spoils itself in both the the title and the poster and everything it's it's one of those it's not about the destination it's about the journey yeah it's a real um, planet of the apes situation we're like you know what happens at the end of planet of the apes it still makes planet of the apes is still good though yeah, like even which, even though it's spoiled on the poster, which apparently the late Christopher Christopher Lee um, guessed the uh, guessed the overall plot and theme of the movie once um, the oh gosh what was it? Um, God what was it? Anthony Schaefer I think it was that told him no it was Robin Hardy Robin Hardy talked to him about it um, he told him the title is the Wicker Man and he's like does that have anything to do with pagan sacrifice. Because Christopher Lee is is crazy uh, or was crazy smart, mm-hmm. and and his only Robin Hardy's only reply to that was, "I hate you." Now, will you please be in this movie? <laughs> well, I mean, a it's Christopher Lee who who just given the movies that he was in, and you're asking him to be in a movie. He's like, "Let me guess, it's going to be one of these." Because it doesn't sound like a Dracula. That doesn't sound like a you know, a, a mad scientist or a gothic movie. I mean, actually, you know, speaking of gothic movies, like that's actually one thing that this movie is very much part of and like does incredibly differently. And, and part of the reason I think this movie was not uh, handled, like w- w- it was not appreciated as much when it first came out because up until this point, like horror movies happened in castles and they had ghosts and Draculas and Frankensteins and... Like, yes, we're in, the, you know, we're, we're in the beginning of the 70s now, but we are not in the, the, the horror new wave. Like, yes, Hitchcock has happened, but even like even something like Psycho takes place like in a in a, in a spooky, you know, motel off somewhere like this is just kind of on an island. And also almost all those movies are like at night, like that's when because that's when the spookum time is. And yeah. and 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 this movie is just like, no, no, I want to show you everything. Well, like Anthony Shaper, he pitched it to Robin Hardy originally, being like, like I, we, I, they wanted to do, they wanted to write a horror film and they wanted to put the, to make a horror film, but they wanted, they were kind of tired of some of the old horror films up to that point, Christopher Lee included. And I think this out of the 300 films that he has done, this remains Christopher Lee's favorite film in, in his repertoire of of works which is very impressive to say given the man's done 300 films um also he never got paid he did it for free (laughs) 
And he okay. has said it multiple times. He's like, like it is my favorite film that I never got paid for. That um, is funny. And so, but I remember like Anthony Schaefer like pitched it to Robin Hardy. I think he, because Robin Hardy was just doing commercials at the time and he was living in Manhattan. And so Anthony Schaefer visited him in Manhattan to coax him back to the UK. And he knocks on his door and says like, I'm with the FBI. We are investigating you to see if you have communist, communist sympathies. Could you please come with me, sir? And so that alone, like they, they, they had a very, like they got on very well together and mm-hmm. they both wanted to make almost like an artistic horror film. Like they didn't want to do your run of the mill um, spooks waiting around the corner kind of thing. They wanted everything to be hinted at they didn't want it to be your typical horror film at the time. And well, it's like, I, yeah. And it, and it completely shows. Well, I, I think a big part of it is, is like, this is clearly a movie they're making for adults. Like I know like, like William Castle famous for like the tingler and doing stuff like having a, a like a skeleton on a, uh, a, a wire that comes zipping out across the theater at some point or having uh, nurses at the front of the theater making you sign a waiver saying that you won't sue the producers if you're scared to death. Like that's all kid stuff. And that's how they sold those, those B movies. They were, you know, they, they sold them at matinees and this is clearly not that like, this is almost a movie specifically designed to make like a cinephile be like, Oh, 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 look at this. Like, yeah, because a lot of cinephiles tend to turn their nose up at horror. And this can be a movie where they'd be like, well, actually, it's a thriller, not a horror movie. And it's got a notes and themes of this and that. And it's just like, no, no man, it, it's also a horror movie. That's that's totally fine. Like a man, like a, a man is lured into a giant wicker man and burned to death. That is yeah. horrific. Like Rosemary's Baby. She is raped by Satan. That is horrific. That is the definition of horror. And I'm so, like, it is it is it is Schrodinger's burrito. Taco yeah. Bell is the most popular Mexican <laughs> restaurant in the United States. But if you ask a person from Mexico, is Taco Bell Mexican food? The answer is no. But the answer is also clearly yes. So it can be both, guys. Is it authentic Mexican food? No. Is it Mexican food? Yes. Is it good? That depends on whether you like Taco Bell or not. Is it enjoyable? I know a lot of people say yes. You know, it is. And, and, this, is, you know, and, and this is a movie that that is that is a horror movie, but a, a certain kind of person can apologize for. Also, it's got themes going on. It's got interesting performances. It's doing weird stuff. It's got it, it's got all the things that will wind somebody up. And I completely understand why Christopher Lee took the approach of like, let's go get some critics because this is going to be their their jam, as opposed to like, you know, finding. Billy the nine-year-old and be like, go tell all your friends that the Wicker Man is awesome. Like kids aren't going to sit through this movie. Like, I mean, they might sit through it because it's got a decent amount of nudity in it, but that's not why kids should be watching this movie. Exactly. I would also say like the, the inspector in this film has sort of an energy of the, the hoity-toity critics that you're talking about that aren't, that, that, that they claim that horror isn't artistic the mm-hmm. um that, that i'm getting that kind of general energy sort of the the, the stick up their ass sort of situation um because i well, also say like it's a difference oh, yeah, between like a film snob and a film enthusiast like a a great like a great delineator for me for finding out and like no 
no shade here if you are more of a film snob than a, a film enthusiast. Like, people like what they like, and that's totally okay. But, yeah. like, Brian De Palma is, is, is a great, like, yardstick for seeing which side you fall on. Because, uh, let, let's be clear, Brian De Palma has made some bad movies. But almost every single one of them has so much awesome stuff going on at a filmmaking level that if you can't appreciate Brian De Palma, you're, you're a film snob because you are looking for everything to be kind of working all the time. You are looking for classic classics. You don't want to be apologizing for anything. You, you, you want the movie to be all masterpiece or, or not where I, I just think a film enthusiast is somebody who, and something we've talked about before, the idea that like a movie can be a lot like a salad bar and there's a lot of good stuff in that salad bar, but stay away from the shrimp because that shit's full of iodine. It's going to make your stomach hurt. And, uh, and, and yeah, and this movie, I mean, personally for me, it works all the way. I can totally understand how this wouldn't be some people's movie, but like for me, this movie works for both the snobs and the enthusiasts because it's just it, like it's it just gets under your skin in a way that other movies don't there's a lot of just like weird looks and asides the casting of all the villagers is great there is there's so much to look for here as a filmmaker for getting tone and the smell the idea of like keeping your audience and your main character sort of goofy footed and like always on their back heel never off never on balance and just never showing your hand and showing too much but at the same time escalating the stakes and letting the audience know that like things are getting worse it's, it's that idea of like slowly turning up the heat uh, and you boil the frog and the frog doesn't notice because like the heat just slowly it's hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and you're not spiking it sometimes with a big jump scare you're just slowly letting that pressure build up until you're like oh man this is not good oh man where's this guy going oh no poor edward woodward no uh, i mean you kind of deserve it but oh buddy that's a bummer because <laughs> yeah let's, oh. be, let's be clear the way he goes out would suck like that is not oh yeah you know what I mean? Like a lot of Jason murdering you is like, well, he put a cleavage, a cleaver in my head. And so I'm dead, like instantly. That's that sucks that I'm dead. Yeah. But like De death I'm, by I'm, being I'm burned fast. alive is one of the worst ways to fucking go. Well, um, and, and you and just, you like, just hope that you die from like smoke inhalation first yeah. before like the flame gets you. Yeah, exactly. Like it's yeah. And, oh, and, and, yeah, and the heat and just like, yeah, and the slowly suffocating. Like, yeah, it's just, it's not it's not going to be fun. Like there's a lot, there's a lot better ways to die in a horror movie. Yeah. Which, um, funny story though, about the way that he, uh, about the wicker man scene in general. So like you, folks who've seen the movie noticed that there were, you know, farm animals in the wicker man that they, they had put in there with him. Uh, they had their own little separate cages, their own little wicker cages above. Um, what's the main actor's name again? I'm, I keep bringing Ed, uh, it here. Edward, uh, Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward. Oh, yes, there we go. Uh, Sergeant Howie. Um, apparently, I mean, it goes to, uh, it's very understanding that, you know, when an animal is scared and frightened, it will piss itself. Um, because the goat was above Detective oh, Howie. Man. Okay. The, the animals, every time they set the fire 
the animals would immediately urinate on the actor. Cool. So by the, the end of the an actor, by the end of the shoot, he just smelled like piss and shit. Um, yeah. and was just freezing his ass off, ironically. <clears throat> but yeah, it, it's and I mean, like this film had to be set. One of one of the things that I think the the remake suffers from is not being set in Scotland. Right? Was it was it was the remake set in Scotland? Uh, I don't. If I'm, I don't think it was. Uh, I I will look. Hang on, you keep talking. I will look up this. But story. like, because it it certainly it, it didn't strike me as because no one seemed to have any kind of Scottish accent or anything of that nature. Um, but like setting it in Scotland was crucial because in the early 1970s Christianity was still widely practiced and it had a very Puritan aspect to it. So it might not have been as believable, you know, set in a place like where they were shooting at Woolwich. Um, uh, the, the Wicker Man, that version is set in Washington. Of course. God. Neil LeBute. Man, you fucking. I mean, you well, Washington. Well, like Washington is not wrong for like an almost all white, all girl, weird uh, environmental like that. That. That's, sure. He's not. He's not wrong. It's just wrong for the Wicker Man. I just feel like it. In that remake, there's no way that Nicolas Cage would have gone into a pub and everyone would have sung about how good it is to fuck the innkeeper's daughter. Um, I mean, not with an all-female cast. No. Nope. Nope. It, it like it misses the mark and the point of everything happening 100%. And it's, I complete, I understand now, like why everyone was so, I obviously it's a terrible film. It's horribly done, but it is very entertaining in a hilarious way. And I'm just like, like I wonder like how different this is from the actual original film. Um, turns out very, and I understand everyone's anger, and I understand, I understand why everyone gets up and up in arms about this. And apparently, there is a an actual like sequel to this. Um, oh God, what was it called? They is um, it isn't it called Summer Isle? I think. I think it's called. It, it's got Wicker in the title. Does it? Fuck me. What's it called? It was made in 2011. Um. I'm going to look at I'm hold on I'm going to look at IMDb because yeah they they made and it's done by the same people the same director at least uh let's see the wicker I think it's the wicker witch oh the wicker no it's the wicker tree made in 2011 yeah I didn't know this existed either but yeah it, it this is the true you know, sequel, charmed by the resonance of Tresic, Scotland, two young missionaries accept the invitation to participate in local fest in the local festival, fully unaware of the consequences of their decision. Um, so this was directed by Robin Hardy as well, who also wrote it. Um, God, who was in the cast? I think it was like, yeah, starring uh, Britannia Nichol, Henry Garrett. I don't really recognize any of these names on here. But yeah, there was... Um, Wait, Clive Russell was in this? Oh, okay. How yeah, is it? Okay. Yeah, I How guess there's this... a... I don't got... I, I didn't know it existed until I yeah. until I saw that they that he had done another Wicker movie. Man, yeah. yeah the, I, the Wicker I, Tree. Man, yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> I just... 
I just feel like I missed a memo. Like I, and I feel like I would have heard about this. Like I thought, like I knew that there was talk of like one, four years, but I, I didn't think they ever made it. Yeah. Um, I think they did it in response to the sequel or in response to the, uh, the Wicker Man remake, which I think was 2006. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see if you're Robin Hardy being like, Oh, absolutely not. I am not. No, hold on. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Fuck, excuse fuck you, me. Fuck you. Yeah. You, you, you are sullying my good movie, sir. Oh my God. It's, uh, it, it, I don't know. Like it, and also I think like, I find the whole story of what went down after filming to be very fascinating too, because chances are the negative no longer exists of this film. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. So do you, uh, so apparently, and they talked about this, I think in one of the making ofs, um, Christopher Lee was talking about how the, because, um, because the studio itself had changed hands so many times, like, uh, like who was the name? I'm trying to, Yeah, like, like they dealt with a whole bunch of different shit. Like they faced demands to change the ending to save Howie from the fire. They even like suggested, for example, like, well, what if a rainstorm kicks up? And they're just like, no. Like, yeah, someone at the studio even su- suggested torrential rain. Um, there was a well, power struggle would, going on at British Lions. That would, Lions, so like, that would like, yeah, like, literally ruin the point of this movie because the whole point of this movie is like these two groups of people who have absolute devotion to a god who they both don't like who they're both terrified of, but don't a hundred percent get the rules. Like, you know, like this, 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 uh, this Island of people is sacrificing people, hopefully so that we next year's harvest of fruit in Scotland will, will come through, but it doesn't always work. And like, yeah, and like what word is, you know, uh, the constable is putting all of his faith in, in the Christian big G God. And, uh, you know, hoping that it will protect him. And uh, yeah, so so the idea that like then the torrential ter- like rain would come in would just be yeah. like, oh, so God was displeased and he decided to end. But what does that mean? And that's also well, and there's scary. there's some producers who seem to be really scared to not have a happy ending, to not have things resolved. Yeah. And I don't understand why that's still a thing today, because there's so many movies that disprove that that particular point yeah and that thing like like oh uh, like we don't want to upset the audience we're like no like it's a horror movie it's a horror movie like hey yeah correct but like also a proper filmmaker understands that pleasing the audience isn't your only objective like you want the audience to feel something even if that feeling is unfortunate like henry portrait of a serial killer is the perfect proof of that it's the idea of like, like no like this should make you uncomfortable. Like that is the whole point of this. And like, like so, but it also is very apparent. And then I'm, I'm getting into sort of the, the, this is part of the, the negative disappearing story. Um, it's very apparent that there were executives that were trying to destabilize Peter Snell, who was the managing director and the producer of The Wicker Man. So they, these producers said the film was rubbish undistributable, eventually sending it out as a supporting feature to a film called Don't Look Now. Um, Good movie. Good double pill. Yeah, yeah, right? 
But Christopher Lee was fucking furious. And he even talks about how he went up to go say thank you to one of the producers for assisting him in making this film. And he makes a comment how like he went up there with his wife. And when they came to the room, he didn't stand when his wife came in. And he's like, he's like, and he didn't stand when my wife walked in the room. And that kind of tells you, you know, the character of the kind of man that I was talking to. Um, he was not a fan of him. And like in front of his wife told him that the film was rubbish. Um, Christopher Lee said back, it's the best film he's ever done. So he took it to Paris where it won the Grand Prix de Film Fantastique. And then that got great reviews in America and it'd become a very good story for journalists, sort of like the guy was like a studio rubbishing its own acclaimed film. So eventually mm-hmm. British Lion had to actually start promoting it and they were kind of, it forced their hand. And so eventually when it came time for Chris, Chris really was like, okay, well now let's release the director's cut. So we need to make another cut. And so they went to the distributing house, like where all the negatives are kept. And apparently uh, because the, the studio had switched hands so many times, there were a bunch of like, they had cleaned out, the negative house like it, i'm trying to remember there's the because um, i'm i'm not as as skilled in i'm not as knowledgeable in in how in the names of like there's negatives and then what else is there there's the um, there's the negative there's there's the print there's there's there's, 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 there's the positive the, what's the stuff that gets trimmed off the um short, like the short ends yeah i think yeah so like they were clearing out the short ends and they were all going to take be taken to get burned and apparently a bunch of different negatives for several different films got taken with it oh wow so christopher lee before he passed away is is convinced that it still exists somewhere but chances are that the negative was burned it was thrown in the trash um he was so upset because he's like we could have given a proper director's cut but because british lion we're, we're too immature about yeah they, they shit the bed it's like bruce Ryan, like, like they wanted the film to be made quickly and cheaply like with students playing the music to save money um which again like we should also talk about the music of the film because i think it's it's spectacular like i think the music is great there's a very um academic energy between the writer and the director and a lot of the actors but the people who did the music were hippies through and through like straight up fucking hippies like the royal college of music blocked them using their students saying it'd be too disruptive and time consuming for its students so they looked at like recent graduates Mm -hmm. instead um and so they invited paul giovanni who wrote the songs to be involved in the band i like think oh god what was it like he was involved in a band called like hockett hackett hackett hockett i think is what it's um it's like a Fairport convention knockoff. Cool. Um, but he told people that he could get people he knew about folk music that were cheaper. Um, and they brought them on board. And yeah. at one point while they were writing music, they're like, we should do a shit ton of hallucinogenics <laughs> and see what comes out of it. They apparently laughed so much that they did not record a single bit of music. Sounds about right. But it's... <laughs> It's yeah. So like, like they were obviously everything was based in Celtic and Irish folklore. 
So yeah, so they, they suggest that they smoke dope. He says like, I'd never tried it. We spent so much time on the floor laughing that nobody could play their instruments. Although we recorded them. Okay, so they recorded the music before the film was made. It totally captures the mood that they were going for. So, and this is the same musical director uh, who worked with Damon Albarn, who worked on the soundtrack to the 1999 horror film, Ravenous. Mm. Oh, hell yes. That yeah. totally makes so, sense. So that, that, gives, that gives you an idea of just the amazing fucking talent that they got just to work <sighs> on the music for this. Ravenous um, was so hard. <laughs> Ravenous is one of those low-key hitters that if you don't know about it, yeah, yeah Shutter, please, Shutter, please bring Ravenous to Shutter so we can talk it, about it. It's Ravenous. one of those unfortunate examples of a movie that was marketed the wrong way. And because of that, people had different expectations seeing it, and it just never got any buzz. They should have um, just put on the poster, this is the best movie ever made. And then just be like, tell us we're wrong. And I think a lot of people have been like, oh, man, they might be right. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Cool. So, like, it was, I mean, but yeah, like, it was, the post-production was pure chaos, because, like, the company changed hands literally three times like before it even went into pre-production. And so, and, and the last guy that had it was literally an asset stripper. It's like somebody who just strips a company yeah. to sell it off. Like that, that's what they were fucking working up against. And yet you were still able to get the masterpiece that we got. Um, and let's see, like, I'm, I'm also like kind of just going through some other, like I was, I've been looking up facts on this all day and it's, it's hilarious. Um, like Diane Cilento um, was matching the, the lead actress story for story about Sean. Oh no, I think it was Diane Cilento who was married to Sean Connery. So, cause they were in the throes of, of a divorce at the time. Mm. And apparently, unfortunately, Sean Connery had, a history of physical abuse. Yes, he did. He absolutely and did. He, he I was told, not told he had told Barbara Walters. Oh, oh, oh okay. So that's well, okay. I, he I literally tells a, Barbara Walters like the, the best sometimes a woman is hysterical, and the only way to like pipe her down is just slap her in the mouth. Yeah, it's a wild interview. Like it is one of those wow, sure. it really wasn't yeah, yeah, exactly. Mr. Connery, excuse me. I don't think you can Mr. say that out loud. Mr. Bond. We are living in different times, sir. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, it was like 91 or something. I mean, like, it doesn't make it okay. But, like, it wasn't, like, it wasn't recently. It was quite some time ago. But, yeah, that is a, that is a real uh, doozy of an interview to seek out. Oh, God. Uh, oh, it's, but there's, oh, God, there was apparently sort of going back to what I was saying about, like, the farm animals and the wicker man. Apparently there was also, it had gotten around that that was happening and all of the sort of people like PETA and animal rights people like started posting, like started posting flyers about it and we're getting very outraged. And one of the lead writers and producers had put a thing out in, in a news segment saying, don't worry, we're only burning the fluffy cute animals. Like, get over yourselves. The animals are going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And it was just. <laughs> Wouldn't be able goes, to do that today. Nope. Nope. No, no, you would not. No. And, I, and I notice, yeah. And, and notice that the acting guild, nobody's out there being like, hey, could you stop having these animals pee on Edward Woodward? Like, he's, he's, he's not happy about it. And everyone's like, yeah, no, no, no. We're mostly just worried about the animals. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, but yeah, yeah, it's, I love the, like, this being my first time seeing this, I love the energy of it. Like, I kind of went into it knowing that it's not going to be what I expect it to be. It's certainly not going to be um, that fucking filth that Neil Butte put out. But it's, I will say, if anything, Neil Butte's remake makes for a funny watch. And I think is is definitely part of the sort of the, oh God, the, the Nicolas Cage collection that I think needs to be watched because I, I, it definitely captures um, a time in that man's life. And you're like, Oh, Oh, he's dealing with tax shit. He's got to, he's got to pay some bills. Mm-hmm. But the guy's still going to have fun. He's going to get stung by those bees. He's going to be, he's going to get stung by those bees though. I will say I was surprised that one of the things that kept pretty true was when the lead detective runs up in a costume and punches a dude straight in the face. Yeah, yeah. Except it's a lady and he's dressed as a bear in the remake. Yeah, I would say that the Nicolas Cage version is far more entertaining in that particular fashion. I mean, yeah, if you're okay with also Nicolas Cage punching a girl in the face dressed as a bear. And if you think that's funny, um, shame on you and you'll like that movie. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say I also didn't laugh. I, 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 I was abhorred, but it was all, it's Nicolas Cage doing his thing. Uh, well, David, do you have anything else to share about the 1973 film, The Wicker Man, directed by Robin Hardy? Um, if you have not seen this film, it should yeah. definitely be part of it. You should definitely be part of your collection. I, I, I think it, it is required viewing. It is also, yeah, like I was saying earlier, it's a testament to the idea that we really need to stop judging whether a film is good or not. On its based on its opening weekend take and its percentage on Rotten Tomatoes. Like we, we need like I I personally don't look up a Rotten Tomatoes score for any film that I see ever. I, I don't think I there's so many films now that like tanked at the box office, absolutely fucking tanked at the box office, but turned out to be cult classics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like for example, like we're finding while it might necessarily be like a great film, for example, I think 13 Ghosts of all films is getting a bit of a cult following. Dude, just Shawshank Redemption did not do well when it came out. And that's no. Shawshank Redemption. Exactly. It, there are so many films that we've talked about on mm-hmm. this podcast that were canned on arrival. Absolutely Toast. canned on arrival and took... I know it's I you know I think also if you were to take it into another medium like into the art world um most painters for example didn't become famous until they died yeah Tammy and the T-Rex took like 30 years yeah precisely yeah. like they, like it, it's so yeah if it, I would never judge a film's quality based on just the reviews that you see opening weekend. And this, this film is testament of that. I think it's a perfect example where it's required viewing, um, highly recommended to folks. Ken, what about yourself? Anything, anything else to say on this film? Uh, No, I'd say that uh, just about wraps it up for episode 49 here, which means we are going into episode 50 next. And for episode 50, we decided that we were going to put two absolute classics into the Instagram death dome and make them fight, uh, make you guys vote and uh, fight out whether we are going to cover Clive Barker's Hellraiser or George Romero's Day of the Dead. 
So that, oh, damn. yeah, so you're going to have to go. Yeah. So, so if you want to vote on which one of these movies that we're going to cover next week, uh, go to our Instagram, which is at what? What was our Instagram, David? Our, our Instagram is at shutter underscore show. Um, you can also find us on, on Twitter, which is the, the page that you manage, Ken. Where can they find you there? That's just at Shutter Show. Very easy to find. Also, I would say, uh, since it is our 50th episode, uh, if you have any wet messages, well wishes, uh, notes, uh, things that you want to see us do, movies you want us to cover, uh, hit David up on our Instagram. Just send him a, a message uh, or, or leave a comment. Just reach out and communicate. And uh, I don't know, if you've got some interesting questions, maybe, maybe we'll answer some of those. I don't know. We've never done this before. So we're, we're going to see, see what happens. We'll see who responds, who doesn't, and we will play it by ear. Yeah. Okay, but yes. Uh, Hellraiser or Day of the Dead. Uh, David, where can the people find you, uh, yourself, on, on the Instagrams and the Twitters? Well, you folks can find me on Instagram um, at underscore DW Marlowe, where I get up to my regular musings. Um, and you can see what I kind of do in my everyday life, occasional wood projects, and, and just uh, see sort of what I get up to. Um, but yeah, can you? they can find you on Twitter as well, can't they? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ken Stacknick, S-T-A-C-H-N-I-K. And uh, that takes us to the very end of the episode. So, David, uh, I think it's important for us to say to everyone at home, good night, good luck, and most importantly, go fuck yourselves. Good night, everyone. Get vaxxed, get boosted, take care of yourselves. Please, this Omicron's spreading like fucking wildfire. Ooh.